Welcome to the Lancaster Patriot Podcast. My name is Chris Hume. I'm the managing editor of the Lancaster Patriot, and I'm joined today by Joel Saint, who is pastor of Independence Reformed Bible Church and the executive director of the Mid-Atlantic Reformation Society. Joel, always a pleasure to have you. Good to be here again. All right, well, our podcast this morning or today is brought to you by Heritage Floors. Heritage Floors can help you create the home of your dreams with shades, carpets, area rugs, specialty flooring, and more. No matter what you're looking to do to create your own personal sanctuary, Heritage Floors is there to listen and help. If you're a do-it-yourselfer, like Joel here, right? Have you installed uh, a floor before? <laughs> okay, if you're not a do-it-yourselfer, they can help with the installation. If you are, they can help supply the best products at the best prices. Heritage Floors is proud to offer the quality that your home needs as a small town shop who can compete with big brand prices. Visit their showroom today at 60 North Ronks Road in Ronks or go to heritagefloorspa.com. Your perfect home starts at Heritage Floors. All right, well, today we have several headlines. We're going to see how many of these we can get through, Joel, okay? All right. All right, so I have six here. Let's see how many we can get through and uh, maybe get some, some commentary on these. Well, the first one is... A story about, this is from The Federalist from two days ago, September 26th. FBA, FBI raids pro-lifers home, arrests him in front of his kids after ignoring pro-abortion terrorism. Let me just read the introductory paragraph again from The Federalist. Roughly 25 to 30 armed FBI agents with more than a dozen vehicles swarmed Catholic pro-life activist and author Mark Houck's Pennsylvania home early Friday morning and arrested him in front of his children According to Hauk's wife, Ryan Marie, in an interview with LifeSite News, she described a SWAT-style raid with agents aiming guns at the house and surrounding it before they started pounding on the door and yelling for us to open it. Now, the FBI uh, Philadelphia spokesman did respond to that testimony and pushed back a little bit and said, quote, no SWAT team or SWAT operators were involved, but that the FBI knocked on the Hauk's door and then this uh, spokesperson denied that there were 25-plus agents involved and that guns were pointed at Houck's family, but did admit that they did have their guns out and at the ready and that there were as many as... Point them at the ground? There were as many as 15 to 20 agents at the Houck's home. So in any case... I, I am so, I'm already glad to know that there were not 25 to 30. There were only 15 to 20 to arrest one guy. I'm feeling better. Keep going. This, this FBI guy is convincing me. Yeah. And okay. What are they there to arrest this man for? What are they there to take him in for? I should say. So, uh, if he's convicted, first of all, according to the story, he could receive a maximum possible sentence of 11 years in prison, three years of supervised release and fines up to $350,000, according to the justice department press release. Okay. What did he do? What is his crime? Okay. The arrest warrant shows that Hauk is accused of attacking a patient escort at a Planned Parenthood facility in violation of the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances, or FACE Act, a federal law used to restrict the actions of pro-life protesters and counselors in front of abortion facilities. And the, the FACE Act came out in response to pro-lifers who were trying to prevent the abortion of babies, and so the federal government in their great wisdom, made the FACE Act to allow people uh, free access to abort their children. Now, his, his wife then talks about how, you know, what this incident was, that on several occasions he took his then 12-year-old son to, to the sidewalk of Planned Parenthood, and there was a pro-abortion protester who would, quote, say, uh, say crude and inappropriate and disgusting things, according to his wife, to Mark's son, and other vulgarities that she didn't want to repeat. And this went on for weeks and weeks despite Mark Houck's re repeatedly telling the man to stop harassing his son. And his wife says, quote, he kept doing it and kind of came into the son's personal space. And then Mark shoved him away from his child and the guy fell back. He didn't have any injuries or anything, but he tried to sue Mark, end quote. So th there was actually a case here brought to the district court in Philadelphia earlier this year and it was thrown out. Uh, in okay, regards a civil to, case over, yeah. Yeah, this guy pushing, yeah, pushing right. this guy, okay. and uh, the, the court threw it out. Okay, so it wasn't even a criminal case. The guy was, uh, uh, and those if the guy himself brought the case, it sounds like that was a civil case. It, would, what it sounds it like. It would sound like it, yes. Yeah. Okay, um, all right. But th this case was dismissed, and, and the FBI has now picked up this case. And this is really not surprising as you look at what the, the federal government is doing, really going after, and essentially, their political opponents. Um, so anyway, they, they picked up this case, 
and now they are uh, trying to, you know, press charges against this guy and have him potentially face jail time. So the indictment shows a grand jury decided to charge Mark with, quote, verbally confronting the pro-abortion man and forcefully shoving him to the ground in front of the Planned Parenthood Center, causing injuries that required medical attention. Now, Brian Middleton, who is a spokesman for the Hope family, says that the medical attention was merely a Band-Aid on his finger. A release order reveals Mark was required to post 10000 in bond and is currently barred from returning to sidewalk council at the abortion center. So, I mean, would this happen in any other situation? I mean, why is the FBI even involved here? I mean, if, if we got into a slight altercation out here and you shoved me, would the FBI, would 20 FBI agents arrive to your house for that? Or if this was, if this was the other way around, I mean, you've been outside at, at Planned Parenthood's, I have as well. If this was a pro-abort who had, had shoved a pro-lifer, do you think the FBI would show up to their house? I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking not. I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that that would just kind of go. I mean, was the FBI, hey, let me ask you something about that. We had, you know, the summer of love, right, uh, in 2020, burning down buildings and so forth, attacking businesses. Was the FBI even involved? I can't remember, I can't recall that they were. I mean, as I recall, local police officers may have been involved. I don't remember any FBI involvement in that. And there you're burning down buildings. People are getting really hurt. Rocks are being thrown for Pete's sake. Bricks through windows. People are going to get hurt. Some people were murdered. I don't remember the FBI being involved. Yeah, and here you have a case where obviously there, there was there was no apparent you know serious injury. And if this was a case, I mean, what, in, in a case like this, if someone shoved someone, uh, you would look at the situation. You would look at what was it justified. You would look at whether or not what the injuries were. So if it was an unjustified shoving and there were injuries, which a court already decided that it was, what <laughs> whatever happened, it didn't justify a lawsuit. The right. court already decide decide that already. Exactly. And, and, if, and if there was, if this was a case of, of, of someone, you know, unjustifiably shoving someone and there were injuries that resulted and, and you looked into that, you could make that case. But why send 15 to 20 FBI agents to a man's house because he shoved someone? Yeah. Right. This, this is revealing a deeper... And how long ago did that happen, actually? Uh, you, you said his then 12-year-old son. Right. So, you know, this has been quite a while. And so, I, I mean, I thought the FBI was out there, Chris, to, um, you know, to protect the public from really dangerous people. I mean, how long was he out there endangering people because right. he's a sidewalk counselor? Right. Was it a year, two years? Yeah. No, nah, I, don't, I don't think this was about uh, protecting the public. Yeah, and if it was, you know, a, a local law enforcement could have been involved right away. If there's, oh, if there's in a case of an assault, okay, let's get the sure. police out and deal with it. Why the FBI right. coming in at this point to do this is clearly an example of, of really the regime cracking down on their political opponents. Um, and, of course, you mentioned the, the riots, but we also have the, the firebombing of pro-life pregnancy centers, sure. right? And yeah. the FBI is, you know, hardly lifting a finger against yeah. that. But here you have a man who... Uh, in defense of his son, according to him, he, he shoved a, uh, a pro-abortion person. I've been out there on, on the sidewalks, and um, I don't think I've ever uh, had to touch anybody. You know, I had to have any contact with any of the pro-aborts, but it can be a, a heated environment. And um, there have been cases of cars swerving to try to hit pro-life you know, demonstrators out there. Uh, yeah, a, a pro-life demonstrator was killed in Kansas. It was an older gentleman. Uh, you know, car swerved, hit him, kept going. You know, and, and I'm just thinking about the, uh, speaking of cars, that situation in Massachusetts where a car ran through a parade of people. Mm -hmm. I don't know, is, is the FBI even involved in that? Best I could tell is just local law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I guess the argument they'll give is, well, this is a, this is a uh, you know, maybe a federal act. The FACE Act is a federal act, so the FBI now has to get involved. But, but it's access. I mean, did he actually stop anybody from having access? It sounds like it wasn't, that didn't even happen, even, in the, even what he was charged with. Yeah, exactly. So I'm sure more to come on this. Uh, that's the, the story about, I hope I'm saying his name right here, uh, Mark Hauk, who uh, his home was uh, raided or uh, accosted by FBI agents, at least 15, perhaps up to 30, uh, because of his interaction with a pro-abort outside of a Planned Parenthood, which was in Philadelphia. I believe, and uh, we'll see what happens with him. So are, are anything else on that before we move on? Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is just about intimidating, like you said, political opponents. That's, that's all what this is about. 
there's a lot of questions this raises. First of all, um, should there be, I want to raise this question, should there be an FBI, a Federal Bureau of Investigation? Should, should there be that? Why do we have, I mean, this case, right, we had a Band-Aid and a finger, the FBI is involved. If the FBI has to come and straighten that situation out, why do we even have local police officers at all? Now, um, someone's going to say, well, the FBI has done a lot of good over the years. Well, here, here's our problem here. If, if the people in authority are godly people that fear God, well, then maybe we don't have so much to, to fear. But what do we do when we set up these institutions, Chris, and the wrong people get a hold of them? Mm -hmm. that's, that's the big concern. I was doing a little bit of a research because I spoke this morning at the uh, Lancaster County Commissioner's meeting. And um, I, I have a quote here from um, J.M. Kick, a pastor from 1963. He, he says this, and, and, and this is what we're facing here, my friends, with the FBI here, because they don't believe, people in power do not believe that they have to answer to anyone. They just answer to themselves. And Kick says this, he says, the greatest protection which we may take against the destructive doctrine of the absolute sovereignty of the state is the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and when I was speaking this morning, uh, Chris, to the um, Lancaster County Commissioners, I, I, I made the case, I said, you know what, everybody's all happy because we, um, we fought a war, say some, in 1976, or, or excuse me, 1776, actually 1777 to 1781, basically, yeah, because we had a problem with the divine right of kings. Mm -hmm. And what have we exchanged it for? I think we've exchanged it for the divine right of Congress, or the divine right of the president, right. or the divine right of the FBI here. Thanks a lot. Um, we haven't improved anything. He goes on to say this, only God is sovereign in all spheres of life and has decreed the limits of state and church jurisdictions. God is sovereign over the individual conscience, not the state. The state is the servant of God and not the master of men. I would say with the FBI folks and the people supporting them, they have it exactly opposite. The FBI and the ordinances of the state, they are the master of men and definitely not the servant of God. And I went on to say uh, this morning that I went to the um, render to Caesar things that are Caesar's. Uh, passage, which a lot of churchmen even quote and kind of leave it alone. But I went a little further and asked the question, okay, who do we go to to find out what Caesar owns and what God owns? Mm -hmm. Do we go to Caesar or do we go to God? I'm afraid a lot of churchmen will say, well, I, whatever, whatever Caesar says, wait, wait a minute, Christ is the one making the statement here. No, it's, it's whatever, whatever God says. And I'm afraid that, you know, and people will call us crazy, Chris, for saying that we should want a Christian state. Mm -hmm. But we should want people who fear God when they wield this kind of power. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't have people who fear God when they wield this kind of power, get ready for good old fashioned jack booted raids in your house, mm -hmm. like what happened to this man in front of his seven kids and the trauma for those seven children. I mean, how do you, how do you convince your children after this that you're safe in your own house. Right. How do you do that? And not only that, but who's safe here? I'll tell you who's safe. Or I'll ask, maybe this way. Who's safe? The guy saying you shouldn't kill children or the people killing children? Mm -hmm. That's what we must ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you make a good point. The, the, all these bureaucracies and, and the FBI and USDA and all these things their creations of the state. And I think that's one of the, the fundamental problems with the uh, United States of America is that we have given this authority, and I think we've really abandoned it even back at the founding. We abandoned the idea that God is the one who is sovereign, that Christ is king. He grants authority, limited authority, to the magistrate. And we have replaced that with you know, the people are sovereign, right? We the people and we have, as sovereign people, we have now given this authority to the government, and now they can do whatever they want. Yeah. And it, it, it misses the point that we aren't sovereign, God right. is sovereign. You know what, about that, you know, when you have a Bible and God has spoken, now you know where your authority is. But when you say we the people, okay, it's the people. I, well, who are the people? Well, I, I, got some, I got some favorite quotes from communists, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share one right now. Uh, Mao, Satung. I mean, that was a man who knew how to murder people. 
He was he was quite good at it, probably better than Stalin, right? And so one day, so so here's the question, Chris. Here you go. Who are when you're talking about communists, they had two groups. They had the people and they had the enemies of the people, right? There was always the enemies of the people out there. The enemies of the people weren't the people, right? Right. So so here's how it was. He says, he asked a question. It's actually a fair question. Give this communist a little credit here this morning or today, right? He says, who are the people and who are the enemies of the people? Good question. Something we should be asking. He said, the people who support the revolution are the people. Right. And the people who are opposed to the revolution are the enemies of the people. Now, I, I, that's, that's pretty simple. Yeah, I, mean, I, I wish I would have thought of that. Yeah, checks out. Yeah, yeah. Now, now we know. We know who to kill and who not to kill right. because of how they treat the, the, the revolution. Mm -hmm. Are we about there at the same time? At this time, I should say. Yeah. Are we there? Yeah, yeah. it'd be hard to argue against that when you have this, this type of thing happening. Well, we're going to move on from that. Maybe we can come back to this story in the future. Let's go to our second headline today, and that is that Lancaster City has approved a, a flag ordinance. Okay, so back in August, they proposed this rule to ban religious flags from city property. All right, for those of you who don't know about it, um, this was on August 9th. They put it forward. Uh, there was hardly any comment, uh, and then I believe it was September... Um, 13th, they approved it, hardly any public comment. I did contact uh, the, the president uh, of the council there, uh, Smith Wade L., uh, did not get a response. I also uh, contacted Councilwoman Walsh, who I believe put this forward, did not receive a response either. And just to spend just a couple minutes on this, maybe not too much time, the ordinance prohibits uh, flags of a particular religious movement or creed, flags of a political party, and flags that enable violence, discrimination, prejudice, or racism, and some other things as well. And their whole argument here is, well, flag... Wait a minute, a flag enables violence? Yes, according to this uh, ordinance, there are flags that... I wonder that what flag they're talking about. Okay, well, anyway, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, that, that brings up an important point. But so this, this the, their argument is, well, flags on city property is, is you know, public speech. It's, it's city speech, it's government speech, and so we need to make sure that any flags we fly accurately, and here's a quote from actually the meeting on September 13th, that they want to make sure that no flags are, quote, in contradiction, in contradiction to express values of the council. Okay, so what, the, the council is deciding what flags go up, and, and I think it was the same, one of the same council members who said that they proudly fly flags outside City Hall to support causes. So at issue here is not whether or not the city council and the city government of Lancaster should fly flags that support causes. They're, they're granting that they want to do that. It's, this is not an ordinance saying, well, let's not fly any of those flags. Let's just fly the American flag or the state of Pennsylvania flag. That's not what this is about. This is about saying there are certain flags we don't want to fly and there are certain flags we do. And as I said, we don't need to spend a ton of time in this, but it was very interesting um, that what is outlawed is, would be any flag that represents Christianity, right? A religious movement or creed, Christianity would be outlawed. But a flag that, and this is what I was trying to get comment on these, these council people on, was what about the pride flag? Is not the pride flag a, a flag that represents a creed, a belief? I would argue it pretty is. Pretty sure. Yeah, there's a belief there somewhere. Pretty sure. <laughs> And um, so the vote was unanimous. Everybody agreed. Yeah, l let's agree to this. And so I just kind of want to point this out and maybe just have you make a brief comment that the city of Lancaster has essentially said there will be no flags that support any sort of or endorse any religious belief. Mm -hmm. However, flags that support homosexuality or LGBTQ whatever will likely be allowed. I mean, and it was strikingly absent from any discussion Mm -hmm. And that's what I tried to get them to comment on because they did, uh, the city of Lancaster uh, hung up two pride flags from the visitor center this summer. And so none of that was discussed. But when they made comments, well, we, we want to fly flags that we, that, that we approve of and we'll proudly fly them. Um, and the president, of course, uh, Biden, you know, flew pride flags on, on federal property. So they have their, their precedent to look to and say, well, we'll, we'll, still, we'll still fly them. But yeah, maybe just comment briefly on this, Joel, on the idea that here we have Lancaster City. Um, voting to, to, you know, prohibit the flags that would represent 
Christianity, and they'd say, oh, no, any religion, well, of course, except uh, homosexuality in that worldview. And also, as, as you mentioned, flags that would enable violence, discrimination, prejudice, or racism. So I could imagine if there was a flag celebrating traditional marriage, that would be enabling violence, discrimination, prejudice, and probably racism, too. Um, so just, just give a couple comments on that before we move on here. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, how, how did we get here? How did we get to this point? It, you know, and I would argue back in 1963 and even before that, but I want to go back to 1963 and prayer and Bible reading getting thrown out of schools. And that myth of neutrality, that idea that we can be neutral, how can you, how is it that the Christ, even the Christian community back then, for the most part, went along with it? Because the argument was, well, we're keeping out all religions. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's fair. How is it that the Christian community could go along with that when God is sovereign overall? How can you possibly talk neutrality? What do you think God is neutral when it comes to education? Mm -hmm. can, can we be neutral about right and wrong, about good and evil? Can we not go to the scriptures? Where are we going to go? Are we going to go to the state? Are we going to go to the, um, I think I wrote down the phrase here, the express values of the council. Right. Now that sounds like a reliable source for, to get our values of right and wrong. Uh, they, they, could, they could change tomorrow. Chris, going back to the beginning of this, it's that Christians bought into the idea of neutrality and gave up the idea that Christ is sovereign over all. That is the beginning of this right here. And if we, if we decide that Christ isn't sovereign, or if the Lancaster City Council decides that they are sovereign, and that, Chris, that, that, that's, that's a phrase right there, the express values of the council, that is a claim to sovereignty. That's what it is. God who? Scriptures who? Mm -hmm. That's what we're going, that, that's what's happening here. Uh, Christians had already, you know, I don't blame Madeline Murray O'Hare and, 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 you know, those, those people that brought lawsuits against schools for reading uh, the Bible in school back in the 60s. I mean, I do, but I blame the Christian community much more for standing back and saying, okay, we can have education here without recognizing the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Chris, the Christian church would have already had to have backed off from that position. They would have had to already accepted the idea of neutrality for for even the, the 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 general populace to even go for something like that, and so now here we are, and so the Lancaster City the Lancaster City Council isn't doing anything that the Christians have not already acquiesced to here, Chris. They've already agreed with us. Well, the myth of neutrality, and actually, I didn't tell you ahead of time that I wanted to get into that with one of these stories. Let's let's jump ahead to it now, and I'm going to skip one of these stories. I may not have time anyway to address it. So, this idea of neutrality, I want to talk about the. Parental Bill of Rights. Okay, this was a story that came out. Um, let me see here. September 23rd here from WITF, and the headline is Pennsylvania's Parental Bill of Rights. Bill is designed to quash discussion, discussions on LGBTQ issues in school. Uh, let me just read the first part of this here. A group of Republican lawmakers is pushing for legislation to limit how public schools teach topics on gender identity and sexual orientation in classrooms, in a rally on Tuesday, Representative Stephanie Borowitz and other GOP lawmakers were joined by conservative groups and parents to introduce HB 2813, the so-called Parental Bill, rights, Bill of Rights, which would require classes at school to be age-appropriate and prohibit topics on sexual orientation and gender identity in kindergarten up to fifth grade. Okay, now, so this is House Bill 2813, Joel, and then there's also Senate Bill uh, 1278. Okay, and I actually spent a little time a couple months ago looking into the Senate Bill 1278, so I kind of want to jump right into it okay. based on what you brought up about neutrality. So the argument here is, actually, let, let me step back for a second because i got to address this. So in the House Bill, it says, in the actual text of the bill, it says, the, the General Assembly, and again, this isn't a law yet, but this is what they're trying to put forward. The General Assembly finds and declares that it is the fundamental right of a parent or legal guardian of a student to make decisions regarding the student's upbringing and well-being. I just want to stop there for a second because th these are our Republican lawmakers making this claim. And if, if they truly believe that, then why are they not 
abolishing these homeschool regulations that are so strict in Pennsylvania. This is to me is just another example of this political talk. It's just rhetoric. They don't actually believe this. They believe that the government should still be involved in the education of children. And if they truly believe that it's the fundamental right of the parent, not the government, then parents would not have to bow to the government in order to educate their children. I just want to point that out. Yeah, so we still have to, if I have to ask permission of the state, forget about whether or not the state generally grants me the permission, and it's a formality. If I have to ask permission of the state for anything that has to do with, and I wrote it down, the upbringing and well-being of my children, then that as is an implicit, an implicit statement or admission, if you will, that's implicit, if not explicit, that they own my children. Uh, you know, as, as we've said before, you know, we changed their diapers, you know, got up in the middle of the night when they were crying, right? Mm -hmm. And now I has, have to ask their permission about the upbringing and well-being of my own children. And this is, you know, I mean, you're exactly right. This is political posturing once again. The shame of it Again, Chris, I'm going to be a broken record here this morning. Um, the shame of it is, is I'm not so upset at the uh, posturing politicians and grandstanding politicians. It's that so many parents will even go along with this and think they're making progress. Mm -hmm. The state has reached so far into their family. And when a couple of politicians say, oh, okay, you've gone a little bit too far here. We're like, oh, we're all happy about it now. Oh, good. Let's all get together on this. Here's a plan. How about this? How about let's have a separation of school and state? How about that? That way I'm not paying all those horrific taxes for an education I don't even want, Chris, mm -hmm. which is wicked and vile in itself. And then you know what? Everybody wants to send their kids to the public school. Let them pay for it. And, and the people that don't want let us keep our own money. How about that? Mm -hmm. But no, as long, here's the thing. I, I know, oh man, okay. By the way, if you didn't, rant mode. If you didn't listen to our podcast on education, socialism, go listen to that. Um, there's a lot there, but go ahead. Yeah, here's, here's the thing. If, if, we're, if, if we're going to pay for an education we don't want, we're making a mistake, Chris, when we say, well, hey, politicians, that's our money. Be careful how you spend our money. No, 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 no. They, they get their money at the point of a gun. They get their money saying, if you don't pay for this money, Joel, these property taxes, you and your children are going to be out on the street in the name of children. So can we at least stop saying that's our money? Mm -hmm. Not anymore. Right. Not, not when they have it. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it, it's been taken from us, and they're going to do with it what they want. And if we have time to get back to one of the other stories, it was on a teacher shortage, and you mentioned something about let those people who want this education pay for it. The free market would actually solve a lot of these problems. But back, back to this here now, th th I just wanted to bring it up because there's in this bill, and, and this is what they do. People say, oh, this is great, parental rights bill. And, and the same thing in Florida. I mean, I had a lot of problems with that bill that Governor DeSantis put forward, and, and this is one of the reasons for it right here. This, this bill says, a school entity may not offer instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity to a student in kindergarten through fifth grade. Now, I have a lot of other problems, as you've already mentioned, about the whole fact of government education. But, but even within this, your bill is, what is this saying if it says that the school may not offer uh, education on gender identity uh, in K through 5? It's saying that they may do it after that. And it's granting that the government has a right and an obligation to teach children this stuff. Yeah. And it's just like, it's similar to a critique against the heartbeat bill, which we're not going to get into now. But when you, when you make these laws, it's, oh, well, we're, we're trying to limit this. You're actually you know, codifying into the legislation that it's okay to do it after this point. Yeah. Yeah, Chris, again, uh, this, is doing, this is doing absolutely nothing. And someone's like, no, 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 you're going to protect a lot of children. You know what? Two, two one, two years from now, there's going to be a little bit of language slipped in somewhere that forget about fifth grade. How about after third grade or whatever? And before you know it, you're going to be right back to where you were. But the politicians have gotten what they want. They've gotten to be able to grandstand and act as if they are all about parental rights. I mean, think about it. We, we need a parental bill of rights. Right. How did we even get here? We need a special bill to declare that parents have rights. We, Chris, you have lost the argument horribly this, as soon as you admit that what is needed here 
is a parental bill of, light, uh, of rights. You've already lost. Well, you said that, okay, in a couple of years there'll be some, uh, you know, vague language or changes. Well, actually, it's already in here. This oh, is, great. So we have Senate Bill, Senate Bill 1278. <laughs> this was um, introduced by uh, Senator Scott Martin and Senator Ryan Ament, among others. You also have Corman, uh, Phillips Hill, Stephon. So, so here you have your Republican legislators, if you will, and they are putting forth this bill saying, okay, and this kind of mirrors the House bill in some regards. And, and this, this bill, I mean, it's just absolutely worthless. I mean, some people might think I'm being overly critical. but So this bill, it, it, the Empowering PA Families and Education Bill, okay? And th there's so much here. I know we don't have a ton of time. Let's try to just address a, a, couple, a couple things here. The bill would officially recognize and, and um, again, legislate the teaching of this stuff in grades 6 through 12. So again, it says, okay, you can't do it up until this point, but you can do it, you can do it after that. And let me, let me just read a couple things here. And let's just get right into this. I want to get into the neutrality thing because you brought okay. up, and that's what went, went right to this. So the bill is kind of saying, okay, well, you know, parents, parents uh, it's prohibit classrooms. So the bill is designed to prohibit classroom instruction on gender identity and sexual orientation for pre-K through fifth grade students, same type of thing. Here's an interesting thing. Consistent with the timeline for when the existing academic standards on general sex education begins in sixth grade. So we're just kind of assuming, well, the government should be teaching kids about sex instead of their parents. But be that as it may, um, that's, that's a question I have. You know, why, why are they even teaching this at all? The, but Almond has a website. Uh, on his website, he talks about this bill. And this is where it's interesting. He, he says... On, on his website that the bill would not ban discussion of sexual orientation and gender identity in school settings. And this is a quote from Senator Ahmed. He says, we don't limit, we don't prohibit organic conversations, end quote. He said that uh, according to CBS News Pittsburgh. And he says, quote, we don't prohibit certainly teachers responding to questions. And, and in the bill it says explicitly, it says explicitly here that school personnel are not prohibited from uh, nothing in this section shall be construed to restrict, restrict school personnel from providing support services to a student who has initiated communication with school personnel related to sexual orientation or gender identity. So basically, all it takes is a student asking a question, and then a sexual pervert can go off on their spiel. And given the fact that I doubt these bills are going to prevent men from cross-dressing or people from saying, I want to use this pronoun, it's pretty easy to get a child to ask a question. Oh, Mr. Smith, why are you wearing a dress today? Oh, well, you, you asked the question. Now, now I, can, I, gotta, I gotta answer that question. Yeah. So, I mean, th this bill is completely and utterly worthless because, I mean, any teacher can say, well, uh, I was just responding to my students. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just doing the right thing. Yeah, you want me to teach, don't you? Yeah, uh, actually, we, we, we don't want you to teach this kind of a thing. Again, I'm just as I think about all the sex education stuff, which has been going on for so long. Um, once again, you have attacked the express values. I'm, I'm sorry, the the upbringing and well-being of the child, as as the uh, parents uh, define it. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know, Chris. Um, I, I I was spent three years in public school, three years that I'll that I'll never get back. Um, I spent thirteen years. Th thirteen in years <laughs> in that, and and. It, I, I, somehow I miss all the sex ed classes. I don't know what what I was down. I, I don't know. Maybe I was taking I don't know history or something like that, mm -hmm. um, or, or or geography or maybe um, literature or something. Wasting my time with that. I could have been in a sex ed class, but uh, I don't know, Chris. Um, my wife and I managed to have nine children. I can't understand how I could have possibly we could have done that, not having taken sex ed. Yeah. Well, I. I do remember some of it from my time, unfortunately, and it was definitely not helpful. Um, but to your point, you know, the critique on parents, I think, unfortunately, there are a lot of parents that actually do want the government teaching their kids this stuff. And that's why, we, I mean, we need a, a, a radical revival and change of heart for, for parents to realize that they shouldn't want this. I mean, this, unfortunately, th this is what some parents want. Yeah. Now, there's a lot that don't, but... They're, they're trying to change a broken system, which we've well, talked Chris, about. Chris, let me ask you something about that. What would be the stated purpose of sex education? Would it be to prevent unwanted pregnancies? Well, that's not working out too well. We have more of them than ever. I mean, what would, if we, had a, if we had a bureaucrat in front of us here, what would 
What do you think the stated purpose of sex ed would be, do you think? That's a good question. I mean, I can't think about what it would be now. I, I, I really, now, yeah. I, I mean, really in the can't. past, you could say, okay, well, this should be abstinence, education. And parents, some parents would even say, and rightly, I mean, again, we are opposed to the government school system in general, but some parents would even say, well, I don't, I don't even want you to teach this at all. Yeah. Let yeah. me teach it to my kids. Yeah. You know, let me teach them about, about this. And, but at this point now, it's, you know, when you look at some of the stuff that's being put out, I, I mean, can only assume that the purpose of it is to allow children to, um, develop into sexual perverts. I mean, I don't know how else to put it when, when the stuff that's being taught right. and, and, and the, the deviant sexual practices that are being promoted in the name of, and of course, philosophically, it's going to become in the name of, well, we want people to be their genuine self. So we want people to be able to express themselves. That's the ultimate, you know, value that people can be whoever they want. And so previous sex education that may be focused on abstinence is actually repressive and so we need to free the people, um, the students, the kids, to be however they want to be. Yeah. Um, well, you know, uh, Christ actually spoke to that. A lot, lot I could respond to there. Just respond to this very quickly. Um, Christ actually talked about this idea of being whatever you want, right? He said, which of you, by taking thought, can add height to his stature, mm -hmm. right? You think you can think about and grow longer, you know, hot, to be six foot four right. or whatever? You, you can't do it. If you can't do that... I guarantee you cannot change yourself from a boy to a girl, a girl to a boy. But that's part of this whole thing, like be who you want to be. Well, you can't. Uh, there are limits. There's a sovereign God, and he's created you a certain way, and it's his world. You're in it, and you can adjust to his word, and you can fear him, or you can fight him. You're either going to be a willing subject to, to his authority, or you're going to be a rebel. But ultimately, you will bow before him. You're not going to be able to get away from that. Right. Amen. So to wrap this one up, I want to cover one more thing here about this bill. Amit, he says, okay, well, no, these, these discussions will not occur without the knowledge and consent of the parents, you know, parental rights, and, and that's the big thing. But, uh, you know, organic conversations, they're not going to be limited. I mean, what difference does it make ultimately if the, and this was kind of the thing with, with CRT, like, oh, no, we don't have any CRT curriculum. We're not teaching that. We're, but you're still teaching it. And same thing here. Like, what difference does it make if it's an endorsed, part of the, you know, the textbook, or it's just something that the teacher wants to inject into the classroom, which many do, unfortunately. Many do not, but many do, and, and uh, as the scripture says, bad company corrupts good morals. I mean, you have these people that are teaching the, the, these doctrines, um, and, and they're happy to do so. They want to spread this. So it, it's worthless. It's not going to prevent anything from happening in the classroom. Again, you know, every time that, that some sexual pervert wants to cross-dress, oh, well, they're asking me a question, so that's completely you know, Chris, pointless. To, to, to your point, what really is the point? And, and, you're, and you're, you basically said, well, to create perverts. Well, you know what? If, if that is the point, it is working. It's, Certainly. It's working wonderfully. It is, yeah. I mean, and there, there's so many, I mean, ultimately, as you said before, the main reason for any of this is people's enmity with God. But then you can start to see all these secondary, uh, you know, issues. For example, money. I mean, the, these quote-unquote sex change operations, which is not possible, but these mut mut mutilation surgeries, yeah. there's a lot of money to be had yeah. in that. And these, these medical facilities are, and you, you can find them on record saying, well, there's, there's a lot of money here because there's so much follow-up required. Because if you mutilate someone, it, it's not a simple operation that, okay, yeah, I got this stitched up and I'm done. I never have to go back to the no, doctor. No. It's, it's something where you are fundamentally altering and mutilating someone's body that's years and you'll never be free you'll never recover from that and so you'll be back to the doctor back to the doctor back to the doctor making a lot of money off of it so there's so much here that under the scenes uh, you know ultimately under the surface but the main reason is people are opposed to christ and his law now another thing here, i want to get into that you know because you mentioned neutrality so this, this section, this bill that's put forward by Martin Arm, it has a section on neutrality. It says neutrality. Oh, school, all right. School, yeah. School, I mean, right there, school personnel must remain neutral. Oh, and here we go. And use existing familiar and well-defined constitutional framework applicable to religious beliefs in public schools for matters relating to sexual orientation and gender, and gender identity to prevent government endorsement of beliefs about sexual orientation and gender identity in public schools. I mean, that's laughable, right? Like, you're going to, you're going, so 
I mean, here's Senator Ahmed. He's trying, he's trying to posture himself as saying, okay, and, and he may be opposed to this stuff in the school. I'm not, I'm not questioning that necessarily. But here he is saying, okay, we need to prevent this, you know, these, this, these teachings from happening. And so we're going to do it under neutrality, right? We, we, need, to, we need to keep things neutral. Um, and, and so we can't teach this stuff because it, it's, not, it's not neutral. But, I mean, at what point then, once you get to 6th, 7th, 8th grade, I mean, is the neutrality still there when you're teaching this stuff, when you're presenting it as, as an option that you can, you can change who you are, you can change your, your gender? Um, so he reveals here, and I know you won't have stuff to comment on this. He, he, in my opinion here, he reveals that, I mean, he doesn't understand the nature of education. Uh, on his website, he says this, and this gets to the heart of it, Joel. He says, quote, just as a public school teacher rightfully, rightfully, wouldn't be allowed to teach their students Christian religious theology in a non-neutral way. They should also be prohibited from pushing sexual orientation and gender identity ideology. So there it is. There, I mean, there he, he's just giving everything over. You cannot teach the Christian worldview, right? And, and if, I mean, if the liberals would accept what Ahmed said, and they do, they say, yes, you're right. You can't teach that. Yeah. You can't teach that God created male and female. Because that is Christian religious ideology, which I have no problem saying it is. It's also the scientific reality, but it is that way because God made it that way. And so I'm at saying, well, we've got to be neutral. We can't teach, we can't teach Christian religion. Um, and so, therefore, that's why we can't teach um, this sexual orientation in a non-neutral way. But if we teach it all in a neutral way... Then, then we're good. I think, you know, Amit needs to, to go read the Bible, right? There's nothing about Christ that's neutral, and he has fallen for the myth of neutrality, which Rushduni said is one of the most, you know, pernicious myths for, uh, that humanity yeah. has ever it's, it's, it's such a wonderful lie um, because it's, it's nice and believable. But as soon as you say neutrality, then, and I would argue, Chris, that that's all that the serpent did in the Garden of Eden. That's all that he really did. Has God really said, and, and, and once the, the, the attraction of neutrality is, now I get to make the decision. I get to be the arbiter of right and wrong. That's why it's so, so attractive to so many people. It puts me in the driver's seat. And once we're in the driver's seat here, we're going to be like Eve. We're, we're, we're not going to, Chris, on our own, do what God says. You know, just step back. Hey, you know what? I can decide whether or not God is true or not, whether or not the Bible's true or not, whether or not Christ is king or not. Uh, he might be. He might not be. How about if I just get to decide? Once I've got to there already, Chris, mm -hmm. then I'm going to then I'm going to decide wrongly right. every single time because I've looked inside myself. Mm -hmm. Like modern art, when we look inside ourselves, it's a pretty ugly picture. Right. And it's going to be wrong. Right. And ultimately, there there is there is no neutrality. So when when people like Amon here are saying, "Well, we want to do this neutral," all that does is create a vacuum, like you said. For okay, if we're going to be neutral now, and Rush Juni said, if, you know, if there is a button someone could press, right, that they, they could define rally. They would press it and redefine everything. I, I forget exactly how he said it. Yeah. I'm butchering his quote now, but it, it has to do with this neutrality thing, that if you give people the option of neutrality, they will not remain neutral. Yeah, it's yeah, impossible. Yeah, you can't do it. Well, I like, I'm intrigued with what he said, because you listen to people long enough, they can talk neutrality all the time, but you eventually find out what they really believe. Because he used that word rightfully. Mm -hmm. Right? He was rightful. We're rightfully not going to teach the Christian religion, right. but we should not not be uh, uh, not not teach certain things in the right. classroom. So at a certain age, yeah, yeah, at a certain age, right? So this is rightfully. Uh, we, we all agree on this, but over here we should. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, I would he be willing to say we should rightfully not teach any of this stuff? Hmm. Would he say that? Yeah. Well, he didn't. Right. Well, once he abandoned any any ultimate standard, there there, there can be no. Judgment on, and that's the thing. He's abandoned any authority to say that it's wrong. Yeah. Why not teach this right, to right. first graders? But once again, who's sovereign? He's sovereign. You use the word rightfully. Mm -hmm. That's a religious term. Right. That's a term of right and wrong. Yeah, it's. I mean, the whole thing, and people are blinded to. It, they don't realize, and 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 the the leftists, if you will. I mean, they'll eat that up. Yep. They'll love it because they actually they don't want neutrality. Actually, they yeah. they want yeah. adamant opposition to Christ and his his law. And but they'll take someone saying we need to be neutral because they have they know that people are kind of brainwashed to think well if you believe in anything religious that's not neutral, but believing in the the goodness of homosexual perversion 
Well, that's a neutral thing because that, that hasn't, it doesn't have to do with religion. Of course it does. It has to do with your worldview, your morals, what you believe is right and wrong. But they love, they love it when, when so-called conservatives say, oh, we're going to be neutral here. Because, I mean, that just creates the vacuum for them. One more thing from his, from his uh, website and bill here. He says that the, the bill promises to protect students in the LGBTQ community by providing critical exemptions. So I want to focus on two things very quickly, this idea of community and then these exemptions. Let me focus on the exemptions real quick, um, just to, to, to show you again that yeah. this, this bill is worthless because you have all these, you mentioned, oh, this are coming down the road. They're here now, the exemptions. Well, uh, if it's an organic conversation, we can talk about it. Uh, here's another, you know, if, the, if there's an exemption, if, if, if a child has documented that, well, if, I, if you tell my parents about this, then I might be abandoned or abused, then that's a legitimate reason to not tell the parent. So basically the word of the child said, well, if you tell my parent that I want to be identified as, as a girl and I'm actually a boy, well, you don't have to tell them now. So the bill is completely worthless because I guarantee you uh, some woke school counselor is going to just you know, use that uh, very liberally, shall we sure. say. But the other thing is this idea of um, the community. And this is, I, I, why are why are so-called you know, conservatives still referring to the LGBTQ as a community? When we don't refer to any other sin that way, we don't say, you know, we need to um, have, provide resources to the adultery community or the fornicator community or the thieving community, right? Well, we, and he, so he says, um, he said, I'm trying to find his quote here, but the idea is that we need to have something that balances the needs of those in the LGBT community and, and the parental rights or whatever. But my question is, you know, would, would, would Senator Ahmed propose legislation against theft that balances the needs of property owners and members of the thieving community? Of course not, right? It, it's ridiculous. And many, many Christians have bought into this idea as well. Well, we can't, we don't want to, you know, alienate anybody in that community. It's, it's not a community. A community represents, you know, something, people that are doing something good, that are together. Th this is... The, the ideology of homosexuality and LGBTQZABC is it's, it's sin, and we don't want people that are indulging in that sin to continue to do so because we care about them and love them. But to recognize them as a community is a ploy that the Republicans and the conservatives have bought into because then it, it makes it, oh, well, we, this is a community, so we can't discriminate against the You don't use that language for anything else yet. I mean, maybe we will, but I don't see anything about the fornicator community. Right. That's not the you know, I guess that sin has long been adopted. But right now they're saying, OK, this is a community. Anything on that? I mean, I, that's just something that I've I've heard many, many times. And I think it it misses the point when we say, well, people in that community. Yeah. Yeah. Well, community, um, Chris, when you think of a community, you think of interaction and ultimately we think of common unity because it is life-giving. In other words, I'm not out there on my, cell, on my own, you know, facing against the wind, you know, looking to the west, saying onward, you know, the wind in my face and here. I, no, I, very few people can live like that. So we live in a community because there are other people who can do good things. They can do things that I can't do with their hands, as we were talking about earlier. And so I, utilize, you know, I, I, I use their services. That's what community is. It's ultimately life-giving. Why would we say community, Chris, this is serious business, about a group of people who have the highest suicide rate of any group? Why would we do that? It's not a community. It's not life-giving. It's life-taking. Right. Yeah, and that's, that's the idea that, okay, well, this, this is presented as a, as, as a community where you can be accepted yeah. and included and uh, it, this is a, a horrible example, maybe, but it just reminds me of the, these gangs and, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You had Shredder who, who would, and, and the Foot Clan who would bring in all these, you know, the, these young teenagers who are like, you know, they're, they're pro they have problems in their home, they're, they're, they're troublemakers. And you say, well, we're going to accept you and we're going to give you a community when really you're, you're turning these people into thieves and, and you're destroying any future they have, right? And that, that's the language here. Well, Oh, you are a confused teenager or even pre-teenager who um, it has received all this indoctrination in the public school and you're not happy with, with how you are? Well, we can welcome you in. We'll welcome you in. We'll accept you. We are an affirming community. And then what happens when they go through their quote-unquote sex change operation? Where are these people 20 years down the road, 30 years down the road when they're paying all these medical bills and, and uh, in many ways they're, they're, their life is ruined? So when we as people who are opposed to this 
affirm that idea that this is a community, I think we do a, a big disservice to those people. It's not a community. Right? It's, it's definitely a, not loving to our neighbors here. Right. We need, we need to say that this is what's really going on here. It's, it's high suicide rate. You are, you, you are going against God here. I mean, we, we need to say this, Chris. God created you. You are not going to make any kind of progress by going against his design. Right. <laughs> this, none of this is good. And to call the community to your point is to, is to shall we say, de facto, de facto say it's a life-supporting group, yeah, and it's which it clearly isn't. Yeah, and that it's legitimate. And I'm yeah. saying we want to protect students in the LGBT community by providing exemptions. Now, I want to see that we don't need this idea of communities. People should be protected under the law from, you know, crimes against their person and their property. Yeah. Whether you're a member of a community or not. Yeah, whether, whether, whether you think it, it's good to steal or you think it's good to fornicate or you think it's good to commit homosexual acts, you should have the same protection under the law against your person and your property. But that's not what this is about. This is Ahmed saying, well, he accepts this as a community in the sense that this is a legitimate, you know, way to live your life and we are going to make critical exemptions in this bill, for example, that basically makes the entire bill worthless. Yeah, so yeah. more on that later, of course, but the community thing is very important. I think we need to stop referring to um, sins as creating a legitimate community. Yeah. It's not consistent. We don't do anything else. Yeah. Where, where's the adulterer community? Yeah. Like, why, aren't we, why aren't we passing bills that balance the needs of the adulterer community? Yeah. yeah. All right, let's, let's wrap up real quick here. Um, Maybe real quick, we're going to skip the teacher shortage story, and I have two, two crime sentencing stories, and then we'll be done for today. Okay. So these are from Lancaster County District Attorney's Office. Um, first one is a North Carolina man uh, has been sentenced to 36 to 72 years in prison. Uh, he, was, uh, he sexually abused four minor victims in Lancaster City. Okay, so this is here in Lancaster County. His name is Angel Merced, 53 years old of Mecklenburg, North Carolina. He was sentenced to 36 to 72 years in prison by Lancaster County Court uh, Judge Dennis Reniker. Uh, jury found Merced guilty of three counts of involuntary deviant sexual intercourse, seven counts of aggregated, aggravated indecent assault, four counts of indecent assault, and four counts of corruption of minors following a three-day trial. Okay, Joel, 36 to 72 years in prison. Just or unjust punishment? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's too long. Um, it should actually be a lot, a lot shorter. Uh, how much shorter? I think Christ has uh, spoken to us about this. Um, here's Christ talking. He says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Um, then later on in the same chapter, he says, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. That's despising them definitely by molesting them. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And Christ is saying something really serious business there. He's saying that, Christ, that, that God the Father in heaven, angels see his face when little children are abused. Now, we get this mixed up a little bit. And, and Chris, <laughs> you may have had the same thing, right? Um, kind of personal story here, but I've had conversations with people that tell, tell me that Christ was not in favor of capital punishment. Can you believe that people have actually said that? Right. That Christ was not in favor? Okay, well, let me read it again uh, for anybody who thinks, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, what, what happens is we read this way, it would be better for the child, is what we say. No, no, no. Christ is saying... Do him a favor. It would be better for him because the angels see the face of, of, of God the Father in heaven and he will have his way with this person. And in the end, it would be better for him if a millstone were thrown around his neck, he would drown in the sea, than for him to continue doing what he's doing. So, did Jesus Christ advocate capital punishment, capital punishment for child molesters? Answer, yes, he did. And I'm no uh, you know, criminal psychologist here, but I've read this. And maybe you can comment on this, Chris. I'm, I'm sure you may have know, know a lot more about this than I do. I understand there are two type of offenders, at least. There may be more. 
that can never be rehabilitated. Doesn't matter what you do, they can't be rehabbed. One is counterfeiters, they'll go put them in jail, they'll come back, they'll do it again. And the other is child molesters. Doesn't matter what you do, they're going to do it again. You know what? If that's the case, then what Christ says here makes it, it already makes sense because it's the word of God, makes even more sense. So yeah, 36 to 72 years, way too long. Too long. Way too long. It should be a capital offense, which would, you know, have a chilling effect on other child molesters, which would be a good thing. Right. Not a bad thing. Yeah, as you mentioned, and we can talk about it maybe perhaps in another episode, but Jesus did not repeal the death penalty, right? It's established clearly in, in the Older Testament, and Jesus never repealed it. He came to, to establish and not to you know, nullify the law. In Matthew 15, he yes. refers to a capital punishment case, and um, he accepts it as the yes. Word of God. Yeah. So, yeah, this 36 to 72 years is far too long. It should maybe be a couple weeks, right? Give this man an opportunity to consider his sin, right? Have, have a minister preach the gospel to him, yes. right? And then he has to meet his maker, yeah. right? And, and for him, that would be more loving as well. Absolutely. I mean, briefly, I mean, that's the just thing, but just talk on briefly the fact that, okay, now for the next, you know, 50, 70 years, you know, who is paying for this man's crime? Right, right. Who, who's his victims. For him? His victims are. Explain right? that. Yeah, because he's in jail. I don't know. But if he's in jail, let's say he's, let, let's be conservative. Well, the guy's like 53. Was 53, that what he was? Yeah. yeah. So let's say he's in jail for another 30 years, right? Okay. It will be millions and millions of dollars that will have to be paid uh, in order for his support in jail. Who's going to be paying for that? His victims right. and his, his victims. For, where is the justice there, Chris? Where, where is it? A again, let's go back to the scriptures here. Do we have in the scriptures any, any even remote idea that the victim pays for the crime? Mm -hmm. Our Western ideas of crime and punishment have been in the past until they've been compromised here in the last 50 years, rooted in the idea that if anybody pays for the crime, it is the actual criminal. Crazy thought. Yeah, I know, right? Who, who, who knew? Who, who even thought of such a thing? It's the criminal pays. What are we going to be doing? You, you know, and, and another thing about this, and, and, and this is one of the sad things that makes me angry. Chris, it's hard for me to talk about it without being angry, where... Child molesters go to jail for a while. Now, this guy here is going to be going for a little while, but who knows? Unless they, yeah, let him re-release yeah. him. Who knows, yeah. right? And then they get out of jail and re-intimidate Maybe Chris. Fetterman will, will work well, we, we, Yeah, that sounds like one of his favorite types, right? Maybe he can, he, maybe Fetterman can go to North Carolina and lose the election and run there and turn this guy loose. I don't know. I think he'll be, yeah, he might be here, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, uh, okay, this angel dude. Okay. Yeah, because he was tried here. But anyway, you were okay. saying Okay, uh, okay, from North Carolina, yeah. Okay, good. DA. Yeah, but it, it's happened now of cases where um, the, 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 the molester gets out of jail. Now he's got a score to settle with the people that he molested that, 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 um, that testified against him, right. intimidates them. It's happened where they've committed suicide. Right. And then what do we do in our state, you know, our DAs? Right. Well, you know, there's just nothing we can do about this. Well, no, there is something you can do. Right. You can read and apply the Bible. That is wicked and horrible that a guy gets out of jail and now uh, intimidates the people that, that he abused. Right. He gets out. Of, he, they, they have to pay for him while he's in jail. Then he gets out of jail. And he abuses them even more. Right. Yeah. Christ made it really clear here. But, oh, you know, we're neutral and we have a better idea. So Yeah. No, you, yeah. Read, read the Word of God and obey it and you'll avoid all these issues. So the victims range in age from 6 to 12. So, yeah, they're going to be growing up and paying, paying taxes, being forced to pay for this man to have, a, you know, a warm room, food on his table when biblically he should have been executed. Um, and, yeah, you know, an example of injustice. Yes. Talk about social justice. Yeah. Well. This is an example of injustice because we're not following God's word. Last thing here, Columbia man sentenced to 11 to 25 years in prison. Again, this is Lancaster County. Columbia man sentenced to 11 to 25 years in prison after DDRD and PWID convictions. So I didn't know what those were. Let me explain here. Read here. It says a Columbia man was sentenced 11 to 25 years in prison Monday after being convicted. This was back in August. After being convicted of drug delivery resulting in death. So that's the DDRD. Drug delivery resulting in death, possession with an intent to deliver fentanyl and methamphetamine, and criminal use of a communication facility. So, 
the drug delivery resulting in death and possession of fentanyl are his main charges. Jeffrey Shackleford, age 48, of the 500 block of Goldfinch Road, was 87 grams of meth, 15 grams of fentanyl, packaging material, scales, cash, whatever. Uh, September 2021, uh, he delivered these drugs to a victim who overdosed and died from multiple drug toxicity. And text messages presented to, uh, at the assist, to the assistant DA revealed that Shackleford responded, crush it, when the victim inquired about how to use the drugs a few hours before her death. Now, we're at the end here. We're not going to be able to get into the whole, quote, uh, war on drugs. I think we should do a whole episode on that. So this will be maybe just a brief teaser. And I don't think either one of us here are uh, saying this is a, a stalwart guy. But let's talk about the fact that would, should he be put in prison for having substances and delivering them to someone who wanted them. Yeah, well, first of all, a war on drugs. I mean, I don't even know what that is. You know, call, a, call out the cavalry. You know, where's your 50 cal machine gun? Right. Uh, release the rockets. I see drugs. Um, let's blow them up or something. I don't even know. I don't even know how you do that. It's like the war on poverty. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> well, you know, go to war against a poverty, guy in poverty against the homeless? What are, we, what are we talking about here? Anyway, it's gotten that crazy. But in any case, once again, um, showing harm here, right? Okay, so a person died because someone else sold them drugs. And but the way we're oriented right now, oh, I don't know, you know, maybe we should. I'll, I'll just say this. Drugs are everywhere. They're, come on, they're joked about on TV all the time. Mm -hmm. and, and you can get out of a drug sentence sometimes just by going to rehab. Whether or not you actually actually finish it or whatever, go to rehab, sit there, listen, right. whatever, so I don't go to jail, whatever. I can go to rehab and then go out to sell drugs again or whatever, right? But the, the, thing, the, the thing that we have to consider here is, and this is why I read it, this, is you know what? They want us to accept this, that the guy who sold the drugs is actually responsible for the person that used them, killed themselves, mm -hmm. right? I think what's really going on here is they're setting us up. So more and more will think that the gun dealer who sold the gun mm -hmm. and someone else shot somebody, it's the gun dealer who's responsible. We're taking personal responsibility away. That right. way, Chris, the state gets to assign responsibility. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, that, that's an important point. I don't know if it was Rush Jr. or North. I'm sure probably both of them did that. Once you, once you take personal responsi re responsibility away from the people, now, now the state is, is in charge. And so when any, when any, anytime something bad happens, it's this really kind of the state's fault because they didn't have a good enough law, right? They didn't have a good enough humanistic law to deal with this. So we're going to, we're going to solve that by punishing, uh, punishing people who cause other people to make wrong choices, yep. right? And not to, we'll save it for another time, but the whole idea of making these drugs illegal actually exacerbates the problem, creates this black market. And we don't then punish, there's plenty of crimes you know, I don't know, so I can't speak to this man, but generally speaking, people that are out there dealing drugs and, and just such a wanton disregard for life are, you know, the health of their body are generally committing other crimes, generally speaking, but we don't punish those crimes. Like we're not, we're not, we're not, there's justice not being done to the child abuser. There's not justice being done to the thief, right? To the rapist, to the murderer. We need to deal with those crimes, right? And they're always going to be, people can always abuse, I mean, yeah, we'll save it for another episode. People can always abuse substances, and it's not solving the problem by punishing that and not punishing actual crimes. Anything uh, as we wrap up, final word, covered a lot today. Hopefully yeah. it was uh, helpful. Uh, yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. Yeah, just well, two things real quick. Uh, the Columbia guy gets 11 to 25 years for uh, sold drugs. Somebody else died. I'm just wondering, I mean, would he gotten a lot more if he actually would have killed the person? If he would have gone over himself and killed the person, we've gotten much more. That's a good question. I, I'm, I don't know. Right? I, I don't know. Sadly, uh, I don't know. Uh, just a quick quote from uh, Pastor William Gordon, Reverend William Gordon, 1794. This has to do with pastors and speaking up and the responsibility. He says this. He says, though the partisans of arbitrary power will freely censure that preacher who speaks boldly for the liberties of the people, they will admire as an excellent divine, great preacher, the parson whose discourse is wholly in the opposite and teaches that magistrates have a divine right for doing wrong and are to be implicitly obeyed. Is that not what's happening in our pulpits today? Romans 13, wear a mask, 
shut your church, church down. Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, you're not allowed to sing. Oh, okay. Romans 13 says, <laughs> what, what are you, what, and I know we kind of didn't talk about that directly today, but I would encourage pastors out there, you need to speak up. You need to, because I want to tell you something. People who hate Christ, they're speaking up. And what's your job? If your job isn't to speak up, then exactly what is it? And we'll leave it there for today. Again, Pastor Joel Saint, thank you for, for joining me. Uh, enjoyed this. There's Thanks a for lot having me. Yeah. So to learn more about uh, Joel, go to, uh, you can go to futureofchristendom.org because we're have, there's a conference that Mid-Atlantic Reformation Society is putting on. Hopefully this podcast will be out before that happens. That conference is uh, September 30th. Yep. And... Uh, October 1st? That's right. September okay. 30th, Matt Truell will be speaking in the evening at 7 o'clock at the Woodcrest Retreat Center in, well, it's Effort or between Effort and Denver okay. is where it is, Woodcrest uh, Retreat Center. But then on Saturday, we'll have uh, a lot of speakers uh, speaking. You're speaking, right? Yeah, 19 minutes of time. I'm going to be speaking of the uh, connection between anarchy and scarcity. Okay. Um, if you have one, you will have the other. Um, and the only answer is Christ and his law word, because his law word is not anarchy. It's his law word. Anyway, don't want to get ahead of myself too much. A lot of other uh, discussions there. We'll be hearing from Amos Miller, who is being attacked right now by bureaucrats. Um, he'll be talking about his farm. We'll be hearing a little bit about the Lancaster Patriot, right? even about how that got started. Yep, Dave Stoltzfus will be speaking. Yes, he'll be talking about that. And uh, you're going to want to be there. We have um, Pastor Ron Kranz, Reverend Ron Kranz, addressing the topic of can you be, <laughs> can you be nice and Christian. Good topic. I think that alone is going to be worth it. Yeah. So check that out, futureofchristendom.org. For more information about the Lancaster Patriot, go to thelancasterpatriot.com. If you like what we're doing here, please subscribe. Uh, tell others about us. We are getting some momentum. We're growing. We're trying to uh, be an alternate voice, trying to bring back honest journalism. Um, that's another discussion we can have as, as well. What's the role of, of, of journalism in newspapers? And we're trying to in our stories, we try to, in the news stories, we try to tell you, hey, here's what's happening. And some people have said, well, you know, do you endorse that or support that? We want to give you the facts. We want you guys to read it, see what's happening, and then, of course, read our editorials, and uh, you'll hear some of the stuff like, like we talk about today. So go to LancasterPatriot.com, subscribe, get the paper delivered to your house once a week. Until next time, uh, my name is Chris Hume. Again, Joel, thanks for joining us. And uh, until next time, God bless you. Godspeed.